It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT. Stopgap annuity products give savers flexibility, but are they giving them value? As Saga gears up for its flotation, we look at whether investing in private equity is worth it. And how much should investing cost? And how on earth do you find out how much it does cost? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form, with the help of my FT colleagues Joe Cumbo. Hello. And Emma Dunkley. Hello. Plus a special studio guest, Louisa Symington-Mills of LPEC. Hello. Around two months ago, the Chancellor announced a series of reforms to the pensions market, basically giving people approaching retirement far more choice over what they do with the savings they have accumulated. Some of those reforms have already taken effect and some come into force next year. Companies in the pensions business are already feeling the effects. The buy-to-let and structured product industries are already touting their wares to retirees, while providers of traditional annuities such as MGM and Partnership have announced job cuts because the volume of annuity sales is falling. But they're not giving in without a fight. Several providers have now launched products designed either to tide the saver over until the government's reforms are fully implemented, or to provide a traditional annuity but with a get-out clause. The government wants everyone to get face-to-face impartial guidance on their financial options at the point at which they retire. But this guidance won't start until next year, and there are already concerns about who is going to provide it and who is going to pay for it. And all the while, these tide-you-over products are being marketed and sold now, before any free impartial guidance is in place. So are they any good? And what is the price of flexibility? Jo Cumbo, as ever, has her finger on the pulse of the pensions industry. Jo, what's the latest on new products for those who aren't quite sure what they want to do and don't want to tie themselves into anything in advance of April's reforms? This week saw the launch of another short-term annuity by Partnership, which is a company which specialises in offering enhanced rates for people who smoke or who aren't in superior health. They've launched a product which will allow people to sort of lock into a lifetime annuity, but with this unusual option of cashing in after 12 months on the anniversary of the product. And this is 
in tune with a perceived market for products which you described as stopgap, which will help people access their cash now, their tax-free cash or take some income from their pension now, but also give them some flexibility to review their options in April next year when, as you mentioned, that the rules will change significantly. No one will be forced to buy an annuity. They will, if they want to, be able to take their income's cash. And how does the partnership product launched this week compare with some of the other things that have been pushed out over the last few weeks? The the partnership enhanced choice annuity is a little different from the 12-month fixed term annuity in that the partnership product is still a lifetime annuity. It will continue to run if you don't push the button on the cash-in option after 12 months. You continue to have your annuity, which is really unique. There's never been an annuity with a surrender option. This compares with a 12-month annuity is launched by Just Retirement and LV last month. These products are just 12-month annuities. Basically, you've reached the end of your contract um, after 12 months and at that point you'll have to reconsider your options and, and move into another product or roll over. But with the partnership product, you have the choice to continue on with that annuity for the rest of your life. Now, the key question, presumably all this flexibility, comes at a price. What does it cost and is it worth it? Well, the first issue to take into account is that um, these products are available on an execution-only basis, which means they can be bought direct rather than through an advisor. So there will be a commission uh, payable um, if you want to take out the flexibility of a short-term product or keep your options open. You're looking at at least one5 percent on the partnership product. That's the commission that will come off your fund when you buy it or up to 2% on Liverpool Victoria product. Just retirement is advice only. So if you want to to take out that product, you'll have to pay advisor fees. These products essentially work by parking your capital into a a low interest safe account like cash for 12 months. So the returns you can expect on the money that you've parked aren't great, 0.5%. You won't get much back on it. You'll be drawing a bit of income from it and you'll have the commission costs. You will also have to take into account the costs of buying another product once your product expires after 12 months, which could be more commission at 2% or another advisor fee. These products, while they sound great for people who need some flexibility, they want to get their hands on the cash but keep their options open. They're also quite complex from the point of view about just the tax traps that might sort of be laid in inside the product. For example, if you die while you have taken out one of these partnership products, you could be landed with um, a full 55% tax on it and it might be better to actually park your money in drawdown. And finally, you mentioned a drawdown there. What other courses of action are open to you if you're one of the perhaps three or 400,000 people who might reasonably be expected to buy an annuity between now and, say, next April? Well, there's a bit of confusion about what options are out there. The Treasury tells us that they've actually relaxed the rules so that if you want more flexibility and take out your tax-free cash, you shouldn't be triggered or forced to make a decision to buy an annuity. But in reality, what I'm hearing is that providers aren't adjusting their systems or making that flexibility available to people. Hence, we have seen the development of these short-term products for people who are caught in the situation of a provider that's not offering them flexibility. Drawdown is also an option, but that is something that um, not all providers will make accessible. Joe, thank you very much. 
Of course, if you can't get face-to-face guidance, then your next best option is, of course, FT Money's award-winning pensions coverage, and there's plenty more detail about these latest products in this week's edition. FT Money is part of the Weekend FT, or you can read online at www.ft.com forward slash money. And, of course, you can read on mobile devices like tablets and Kindles too. Still to come on the show, how much should you pay for fund management, and how much are you paying? First, though, let's move on to investing. Next week, Saga, the company that provides all sorts of things for the over-50s, will close its share offer. Already there's intense interest in the company as it's marketing its shares to members of the public and its own customers, as well as to big institutions. If you're interested in Saga, this weekend's FT Money features a big Q&A on whether you should buy the shares or not, though I'm not going to give away the answer to that right now. Saga is currently owned by various private equity groups who are selling a chunk of their shares. And it's not the only one. If you look at some of the other flotations in London over the past year or so, companies like Merlin Entertainment, Pets at Home, Eshore and Countrywide, you'll find a common theme. They were all backed by private equity. So, what exactly is private equity? Who runs it? How does it work? Is it any good? And can ordinary investors get exposure to it? After all, surely it would be better to make money from IPOs rather than having to put money into them. Joining me now is Louisa Symington-Mills, who is Chief Operating Officer of something called LPEC. That's an association of listed private equity companies. Louisa, welcome to The Money Show. First of all, what exactly do private equity companies do? Why do we need them? Private equity is one method of corporate ownership and it has a tremendous role to play. Private equity is a way of owning and investing in companies that aren't listed on the stock market. There are millions of potential private companies to invest in. Most private equity investment is into small and medium-sized enterprises, but private equity can also invest in more mature businesses that need to undergo significant change in order to reach their potential. Globally, it's estimated that private equity firms manage around $3 trillion in assets, all of which will be invested into private companies. And how do private equity companies add value to the businesses that they invest in? Firstly, private equity managers will typically have a very clear investment hypothesis when making an investment. So they can define how the business should create value and the timing um, and method of realisation for achieving this. There are typically very clear lines of communication between management and stakeholders. They put an awful lot of time and effort into doing their due diligence Private equity managers typically have access to great management talent and they control key decisions. Okay, now you've said that the companies that private equity firms invest in tend to be privately owned, that is their shares aren't quoted on the stock market. What about the private equity companies themselves? How are they structured and can ordinary people invest in them? Private equity funds are generally structured as what we call limited partnerships. These are private fund structures. They typically require a very large minimum investment commitment and they require a very long investment horizon. So that investment commitment could be in the millions of pounds um, and that investment horizon could be 10 years or more. So clearly that's quite restrictive in terms of the kinds of investors who would be able to participate in that kind of fund. There is an alternative, however, Listed private equity enables um, investors to access private equity investments for the price of a share. So a listed private equity company is a a listed vehicle that itself invests in private equity assets. 
And what role does private equity or listed private equity play in an investor's portfolio? The role can be very varied, and that's one of the great things about the listed private equity sector. Um, there's a huge amount of choice available, both in terms of the type of return on offer, for example, whether a listed private equity company is focused on capital growth or whether it also pays a dividend. Um, and again, that's a choice that an investor can make, but also in terms of the type of portfolio exposure it has. So across the listed private equity sector that we look at, companies have a huge range of exposure by geography, by sector, by portfolio maturity, i.e. how old their investments are in their portfolio. And in terms of the type of private equity investments that they're doing, whether they're investing in large buyouts or medium buyouts or small buyouts or venture capital or special situations investments. Private equity companies generally, not just the listed ones, are in a bit of a sweet spot at the moment because stock markets are doing very well. Um, So it's very easy to sell existing investments at a big profit. But it's also getting harder for them to make new investments at sensible valuations. Doesn't that rather suggest that private equity's best days are behind it? No, I don't agree. I think the environment at the moment provides opportunities for managers to make good investments um, if they are able to find them. It's not necessarily easy, but there are opportunities there. But the environment, as you say, is also providing the potential for good realisations for managers to sell at a reasonable profit um, and in many cases above their own carrying value. The focus remains, as ever, on finding good private equity managers that have experience, that have proven track records. And I think if you focus on finding those high quality firms and individuals, I think the prospects for long term growth remain very strong. Thank you very much, Louisa. Our cover feature this week is devoted to private equity. We look at how it works, how it has performed and how best to get exposure. We also look at how companies floated by private equity firms have performed. Has all the value been sucked out of them or do they actually go on to do well on the stock market? FT Money is part of the Weekend FT, which is on sale on both Saturday and Sunday. And you can read online at any time, ft.com forward slash money. We're always keen to hear from readers and listeners. You can leave comments on articles on our website at ft.com forward slash money, or you can email us directly. The address here is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. How much should we be paying to invest our money? How much are we paying? It seems these arguments have been raging forever, probably since Stone Age Man set up the first fund to invest in mammoth teeth. Part of the reason for that is that everyone seems to be talking about slightly different things. What is an annual management charge? What is a total expense ratio? Is that different from the ongoing charges figure? And what about portfolio turnover? Here to make sense of this confusing alphabet soup of terms and to describe the latest industry efforts to agree on who is paying whom for what is Emma Dunkley. Emma, didn't the city regulator have something to say about all this earlier in the week? Yes, so the Financial Conduct Authority, the UK's financial watchdog, actually got in touch with about 11 firms this time last year to look into their marketing material and see how they displayed their charges to check whether it was actually consistent. But they found that there are actually some quite large and disconcerting discrepancies. While some firms displayed the AMC, the annual management charge, others showed the total expense ratio. If you're an end investor looking to buy a fund and you're looking at two different sets of figures, it's tough to compare the funds on a like-for-like basis because you're looking at two very different costs. 
And just to say that the AMC is the charge that goes to the fund manager for running the fund, whereas the total expense ratio includes the AMC, but also administrative costs and custodian costs on top. Okay, now the body that represents the fund industry, the Investment Management Association, is already telling its members that they should all be using the ongoing charges figure. Now, what's that? Is that the same as the total expense ratio? To add to the confusion, the ongoing charges figure is a relatively new term, which essentially is the same as the total expense ratio. The ongoing charges figure came into play a few years ago due to European regulation, which meant all fund groups had to introduce this new type of fund fact sheet called the Key Investors Information Document. And as a part of this, all fund groups had to include the ongoing charges figure. And this came into force in 2012. So rather confusingly, you now have fund groups displaying an OCF, but in some marketing material and on some platforms where you buy the funds, they can display the AMC still, or even the TER in some cases. Okay, so the ongoing charges figure, the one that we've all agreed on, is there, but only in documents that very few people actually read. Is that right? That's correct. Some fund groups are now taking things into their own hands by coining their own terms for some of these total costs. For example, Invesco Perpetual, one of the biggest fund managers in the UK, recently revealed a new simplified charging structure, which they've given their own name called the fund management fee. Just to add to all this confusion, there's this thing called the portfolio turnover ratio, which isn't included in any of these figures. What is that and does it matter? It does matter. And the Investment Management Association, the fund industry body, has been looking into how to provide a standard formula so all fund groups will provide the portfolio turnover rate. The reason why this matters is because some funds buy and sell shares quite frequently, whereas other funds do not. And for those funds that do buy and sell shares frequently, this incurs a greater cost. And ultimately, that means the end investor's returns might be slightly reduced. The IMA is looking into a formula that all fund groups can use to display their portfolio turnover rate. But to translate this to end consumers who might be a bit confused by this, the fund group will use the formula and then attach a label to it, such as high, medium or low, just to give an indication of how high or low the turnover is. Well, thank heavens there's going to be a standardised way of presenting this information because it all seems horribly complicated. But why is it taking so long? just to get to a point where we compare the cost of one fund with the cost of another and know that we're comparing the same thing. Part of the delay has stemmed from the fact that regulation in Europe and UK hasn't really moved in sync and as a result some fund groups took a while to get used to using the OCF. But another reason, and perhaps a bit cheeky on the part of the fund groups, is that they sometimes use the charge that they think looks more attractive. So Hargreaves Lansdowne, for example, a fund platform... When they recently unveiled their new pricing structure, they displayed some of the funds on which they had secured discounts by showing just their AMCs, which are a lot lower than the ongoing charges figure or total expense ratio. Thank you very much, Emma. There's more on fund costs and the long battle to get them standardised in this week's FT Money. And don't forget that if you want to compare fund performance, risk levels, charges and other stuff, you can do so using FT.com's comprehensive funds database. It's free to use at FT.com forward slash funds. Other highlights from this weekend's FT Money, we've things on house prices, on peer-to-peer lending, on Saga, on Marks & Spencer's new current account, and why current conditions in the equity markets are a bit like the mid-1990s all over again.
The point there being that people thought the party was over in 1995, but actually it went on for another five years. We're always keen to hear from readers and listeners. If you want to let us know about a hot topic or share your thoughts, you can do so via Twitter. The handle is ftmoney, online at ft.com forward slash money, or via email. The address, once again, is money at ft.com. We will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me, Joe, Emma, and our special studio guest, Louisa Simmington-Mills from LPEC. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.